You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. Let's bring our Bibles out. Let's turn to Luke 3. We'll be going through and we'll start with with this, I hope. Yep. I have been testing you the entire day. Did you know that? course, and I'm happy to say that you passed. So effective immediately, I am promoting you from assistant to the regional manager to assistant regional manager. Michael, I don't know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I wouldn't be offering it if I didn't think you could handle it. I can handle it. I can. Okay. So I guess... This will just be my office. No. No. Title change only. I'll let Pam send out a memo. No, no. Three-month probationary period. Let's just not tell anybody about this right now. Just a formality. Absolutely. But not really. <laughs> I have so much to learn from you. Yes, you do. <laughs> Thank you. I told Dwight that there is honor in losing, which, as we all know, is completely ridiculous. But there is, however, honor in making a loser feel better, which is what I just did for Dwight. Would I rather be feared or loved? Um, easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Okay, all right. So we are going to be looking through Luke 3, verse 1 to 20. And we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. Now, in that office clip, you have this interaction with the boss, Michael Scott, and Dwight, who is his assistant, his sidekick. And in our society, in our culture, no one likes to be Dwight. No one wants to look like that. No one wants to act like that. It's frowned upon. And no one, in my mind, better epitomizes what... A sidekick or an assistant looks like better than Dwight K. Schrute. He's known as the other guy, which is the title of my lesson today. And um, I had uh, a moment in my life where I felt this way. I mean, I felt this way multiple times, but when I was in college, my second year of uni or college, um, this is me, this is Daniel, this is Josh, and and as you can see, I'm not very happy. Um, I'm a bit discouraged about something, and and I remember now looking back that there was this girl I really liked. Yeah, you know where this is going, right? Bear with me. Do not make fun of me. So, so I take her on a date. It went well. I'm making it rain. She's whipping her hair. We're popping non-alcoholic bottles. And I thought things were going really, really well, so I called my informant, which is the person that you talk to to talk to their friends and to get information from. And you guys know what this is. This is not weird or new. But I called, and I asked him, hey, man, what do you think? He's like, good job. You're going well. Keep going. Great. Second date. 
same thing, whipping her hair, I'm making it rain. Third date, same thing, going really well. Fourth date, and that's the date everyone knows. It's like make or break it. You're either going to pursue this girl and date her, seriously, or you just need to like run away, you look like an idiot, you're dumb. Fourth date, go to the beach, get some dinner. I ride out in the sand, you're awesome, with my friend. She's soaking it up, whipping her hair, I'm making it rain, popping bottles, and we leave, and I said my, talk to my foreman, I asked him, what do you think? And he says, dude, you're golden, you're in. So, I go to sleep thinking it's awesome, the next day I wake up, I go on Facebook, I check, and on my news feed there's pictures of her with another guy, she had been, she started dating someone else. So, I called my informant, and I asked him a question. I'm like, dude, what the heck? He says, sorry, Kenny, and you guys say it with me, I guess you were the other guy. Felt terrible. John the Baptist was the other guy to Jesus. Like Rick said, Jesus came to relieve and save people from illness, from sickness, from hurt. And John the Baptist was the guy that prepared the way. He was the sidekick. He was the assistant. He was the guy tossed aside. Let's see what his life was like, all right? Luke 1 verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he lived in the desert or wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So we know where John came from. We don't know much about his young life. We, they don't talk about it much in scripture, but we know that he lived in the desert, which is not that bad. Yeah. It's not that bad, right? <laughs> Someone here from Phoenix, it's not that bad, right? The Israelites, we're in the desert. Jesus was in the desert. Paul was in the desert. We see this recurring theme throughout Scripture about going in the desert and then people eventually getting out. Some scholars think that he was a part of the Essene community, which was a community that separated themselves from the other Jewish people because they felt like they weren't pure enough, that they weren't clean enough. So they went to the desert to get away from the cities, so they could be clean and pure. And obviously, the Essene community is known, that's where we're known to get our, the Qumran text, which is the scriptures that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls today. That community, perhaps, was where John came from. But we know one thing about this for sure, that eventually, John left the desert. John got out of the wilderness, and we'll read here to see what time period that was. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tertroch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tertroch of Eturia and Trachonitus, and Lysanias, Tertroch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of forgiveness 
of sins. And if you notice this intro, if you look at any of the Old Testament prophets, they are all introduced something like this. Luke is trying to say something. The author is trying to convey John as this prophet. At this amazing man that's coming in to proclaim something very real and that was on the horizon for the Jewish people at that time. Tiberius Caesar, I looked up some of these guys and um, as you can see we have the second Roman Emperor Tiberius Caesar, you have Pontius Pilate, uh, at least the Mel Gibson adaptation of him, and then you have Herod Antipas, right? So I looked up some of these guys and we talk about leadership and government and politics in our society today, but I looked up what these guys did. Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, was known for his cruelty. He had this thing called the Tiberius Leap, where he would take his sexual conquest a thousand feet on a cliff, and then he would have them pushed off for orgasmic pleasure. And you think that our culture is terrible today. And maybe it is in a different way. But you have to ask yourself, what are we going through and what did they go through? Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in that time. Freedom of speech? Please. They didn't have the opportunity for that. Maybe we should be a little bit more grateful about where we are today. But we know something. John introduced baptism. He gets out of the desert. He leaves the wilderness. There's crazy tumultuous things going on in his culture and his environment, and he gives people a chance for hope. A chance to be different. And the thing about baptism at this time was that it wasn't common for Jews. Most people that came to get baptized were the Gentiles, because they were dirty, they were unclean, they needed to become Jewish, but what John attracted were the Jews themselves. They're like, I want to go to you. I want to change my life. I want to get baptized. The German theologian Edward Loesch thinks of it this way. Forgiveness was unthinkable without repentance. John summoned the people to express their repentance in Baptism. And he does something here that I think we all can appreciate. He references the scriptures. He references the things that they understand, the things that they were attracted to, the things that they like. And he uses that to bring them some comfort. Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah 40. Let's turn our Bibles over to Isaiah 40. There's nothing special about John. He was the other guy. But he did a great job using the scriptures. Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 2. Let's read. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
Now, why is this interesting? He references verses 3 to 5, which we're going to read next. But when the Jews heard Isaiah, they're thinking about the entire book. Now, Isaiah 1 through 39, the entire time, it's just the Isaiah just lambasting the Jews, lambasting the Israelites. You guys are in sin. There's something wrong with you. Change. Repent. Over and over again. If you look at Isaiah 1, what do you say? I open up my eyes and I don't see you. I'm not listening to your prayers. And Isaiah 39 ends with the Babylonians or Isaiah proclaiming that the Babylonians are going to come and destroy Jerusalem. There's no hope. There's no peace. It's only frustration, anxiety. So any Jewish person that would hear Isaiah 40 knew that there's something that's changed. Isaiah 1-39 through were believed that Isaiah was written during his time period, when he was doing his ministry. Isaiah 40 to 66, many believe that that was written later in Isaiah's life. When he had time to think, process. So when Isaiah 40 was referenced, the people are feeling, what? They're remembering what years and generations of their ancestors had gone through. This Messiah, this, this person that's supposed to come and help us is near. He's close. And if we just look and think about how they must have been feeling at this time, after all of the sin, after all the frustration, everyone just close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. And I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale through your mouth. Now open your eyes. That's what they are probably feeling at this time. And then he says this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight His paths. Every valley shall be filled in and mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Now, I bolded the word glory in Isaiah 43 to 5, and I bolded the word salvation in Luke 3, 4 to 6. They are pretty much the same verse, right? It's almost a direct quote from the Old Testament Scriptures. And when you're looking and you're thinking, and I'm doing some research trying to understand, why is he, what's he doing this for? What's his purpose? Well, the original Hebrew, the word glory, was not translated as salvation. There is an interpreter that looked and said, I'm going to translate this to salvation instead in the Greek, which is what they were reading at the time. And it's interesting that that was the choice that they made. Why would you make that choice? Because salvation revealed God's glory. Guys, church, how many of us still see salvation as God's glory? When's the last time you went to a baptism and you're just excited and, and overjoyed and you're so grateful that some of your, some of your friends 
or someone you didn't even know in this church got baptized? When was the last time you helped someone get baptized? Are you still seeing the salvation that God brings as glorious? Or are we seeing it as a burden? I got two quick thoughts as we move in. That was just the intro. I got two quick thoughts here. All right? We'll we'll get through this. Thought number one. Confront. Confront. Confrontation. And when we look at this, I know many of us get uncomfortable. How many of you like to confront people on a daily basis? I see no hands right now. Oh, okay. Shadara, okay. All right. That's not a surprise there. Okay. Uh, Dax, your wife's pointing at you. All right, fine. Um, we think of it as harmful. We think of it as bad. We think of it as hurtful. We think of it as just terrible. And it can be that way. A lot of the times, it is that way. But we have to understand that there's some good in this. There's some positive features in confronting people. In confronting the issues in our lives. And I like to define it this way. We face up to issues. We deal with a problem or difficulty in our lives. Let's see what John does. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, we need some clarification here. These crowds, I just talked about it, were coming, and they seemed more willing and open, and they wanted to come to John, right? So why is he calling them brood of vipers? Well, this is why we have other Gospels, to help us understand Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, everyone say, oh, coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That makes sense. I think I'm okay with that. You see, these Pharisees and Sadducees, these teachers of the law, they had completely made religion into what we, into what we call today institutionalized religion. You come and you pay a service and you kind of sort of worship God. But your hearts are far from Him. Your lives don't reflect anything about Him. John hated that. He confronted that. Here's a viper. Now, vipers are very interesting creatures. Uh, they have deadly toxins and they've got these long hedge fangs that inject deadly toxins into their prey. And the best thing about the vipers is that they have this, uh, they have this like secret setting where they're ambush predators. So they can use infrared rays to identify prey when they're coming from afar so they can't be seen. So when the prey comes, they scratch them, they tie them, they use their fangs and they grab them, and then they swallow them until they're eaten up completely. Vipers. Vipers are found in trees. They're found in grassy areas. And guess where else they're found? In the desert. That's right. That, does the person from Phoenix say that? You know. They're there. And guess who was from the desert? John the Baptist. I think he knew a thing of two about vipers. Let's watch this quick video. 
But what's really special about this is we've got a high-speed camera which can shoot up to 5,000 frames per second, showing a snake bite like no one's ever seen it before. To make things as realistic as possible, we've got this artificial leg, which is actually very light, much, much lighter than a real human leg. So although it looks pretty invasive, we're not really hurting the snake, but we are definitely threatening him with a human leg. is a series of images of snake striking. You know, some of us who have had experience with these creatures feel that we know what they're doing, but it took this kind of a reveal, doing this kind of high-speed photography, slowing down the motion to see exactly what's going on, the mechanics of a snake bite. My impression is that when you step on a viper, he reacts immediately by giving you a good, strong, tough bite. But what we actually found was that the majority of times that our artificial foot actually comes in contact with a viper, the snake just wants to get away. In fact, sometimes so dramatically, he sort of half leaps through the air and gets away. Um, how many of us feel uncomfortable after watching that video? Guys, I'm not gonna lie, I hate snakes. Like, with a deep, intimate passion. But I had to show this. Why? Because oftentimes, we run from the things that we need to confront. John chose to confront people that were injecting deadly, toxic religious practices to people that are wanting to search for God and we need people that can stand up and fight against that and confront without being afraid and can go after without being scared. John, the other guy, there's something powerful, there's something significant about that role. Now, I'm not saying you should go step on some vipers. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't take that from this. But you have to understand, there are things that are coming, and we need to be able to stand up and push those away. That makes sense, yeah? Second person, type of people that he confronts. He confronts the religious teachers and the teachers of the law, and then he confronts the crowds. Let's see how they respond. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, it's interesting that we talk about tax collectors. I know that's something that's thrown around a lot um, back in this time. But there's this vicious cycle going around 
where the tax collectors were working for the Roman government. And the Romans said, go get money from the Jews and bring it to us. And they had to reach a certain quota. So they would go out and they would take money from the Jews, but oftentimes they needed to take more so that they could feed their own families. So you had tax collectors of those Jewish tax collectors going to take money from other Jews and they're looking at them and saying, you are the most evil person in the world. Why are you taking money from your own people and giving it to the Roman government? So tax collectors were hated more than almost anyone else during this time. And the soldiers, and they're coming and they're like, we kill people. That's what we do for a living. Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. How many of you guys are content with your salaries right now, right? Yeah, a lot of us look at that and we're like, no, no, living in L.A., it's crazy. It's really ridiculous. But John is asking these guys to do something, to do things that are really, really difficult. And again, if we put our mindset there, we put our time, we put our energy, we try to figure out what is it that he's trying to communicate? How can I relate to these people? What should we do? That was their response. When John came and confronted them, they responded, What should we do? Does that remind you guys of the scripture? Acts 2? What should we do? It's amazing when you confront people, when you confront the things in your life, how they can respond in a humble way. Because they're looking for it. They came out to John. They went to see him. Because they wanted something to be different in their lives. They're hoping for something different in their lives. Let's keep going. John Ortberg talked about this. He says, Each time I want to grow, it will involve going into a new territory, taking on new challenges, and each time I do that, I will experience fear again. The fear will never go away. So every time we go into this, we step into this mode where we're trying to challenge, confront the things that we see, it's going to be scary. It's going to be heart-wrenching. But we still need to do it. God has called us to be the other guy and the other girl and to do these things. Amen? Okay. What are some of the problems in your life? That you've chosen not to confront. What are some of the problems in your life that you've chosen not to confront? Who are the people that you fear confronting? That you probably won't look at right now. You're just looking away. You just avoid every time you come to church. Or maybe at a job or school, whatever. Who are the people that you fear confronting? When was the last time you confronted someone to repent? for the forgiveness of his or her sins and get baptized. When was the last time you were able to do that? Think about these questions. The reason John is able to muster up enough courage is because he thought through what he was doing. He was given an opportunity to make changes and he did not shy away. But I believe that he accepted his role because of his humility. And that's my second thought. John accepted his role because of his humility. True humility is absolute obedience 
and dependence on God. Let's see how that plays out. Luke 3 verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be Christ. Now hold on here. So this guy goes through all of this. He's the other guy. He's the assistant. He's a sidekick. And they come and they're like, he might be the Messiah. Now, if anyone's like me, this is a good opportunity. Why? Because you can create an Instagram page, make a Facebook page, and you can start making t-shirts and advertising how great you are. You've done all this, you've set the path, and people are now thinking it's you. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the awesome person. What does John say? John answered them. We'll be close here. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not, I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with his unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Uh, a few years ago, I was serving the teen ministry. And it was during a time where our church was going through a lot. And we had uh, parents in different churches calling me to tell me, Kenny, uh, we don't want to talk to the elders. We don't want to talk to the staff. But we want to talk to you about our kid. And I remember during this time feeling so just confused, so awkward, so weird. I'm just, I'm in college, I'm doing my graduate school, and I have, there's all this tension going on at church. In church, I'd grown up with, I'd grown up in this church my whole life. So I didn't really expect something like that to happen. And there's just so much fighting, and there's so much anger amongst the parents of these kids, and I'm here trying to help these kids, and they're coming and asking me, Kenny, what's going on? Kenny, tell me, what, what happened? And everything in me wanted just to let them know just how terrible their parents were being. Just how foolish this was, how ungodly this was. But I remember thinking about this verse. And I remember saying to myself, if I let them in on these bad experiences, if I thwart their view because of my anger and frustration, I'm not leading them towards Jesus. I'm leading them away from Him. So I had to make a decision. I had to say that I am going to lead these guys towards Jesus. Why? Because I'm just a sidekick. I'm just the assistant. I'm just the other guy that's trying to prepare the way for our Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I remember, I remember fighting every lesson, not to say, just throw a jab in there, like, oh, you know, that person, yeah. I remember, I remember fighting when the kids would come up to me, like puppy eyes, you know. I had to fight. Don't, don't let your bad experiences lead people away from Jesus. Don't let your good experiences lead people away from Jesus. Don't let the problems that you have with others in this room Leave them away from Jesus. Guys, come on. We are just a messenger preparing 
the way for our Lord. True humility is absolute obedience and dependence on God. I, am, I believe wholeheartedly that John really was humble to God's word. He was humble to his relationship to God. And therefore, he confronted the areas in his life that he needed to confront. He challenged the people that he needed to challenge. And he was able to live a life worthy of the calling that he's received. To close, John's life did not end well. <laughs> As Rick mentioned, he was in jail. It's like, dang! He was in jail. He rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, about his marriage. He's like, you're... That's, that's wrong. He rebuked, yeah, let's go rebuke, you know, the king. Let's go rebuke the master here. That's what he did. And he was locked into prison. His life didn't end well, guys. It wasn't a happy ending for, for John. And that's something that you've got to consider. Like, what, what are we working towards? Our lives may turn out awful in this world. But what do we really want to hear? Jesus says this. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. I think Jesus, our Messiah, looks at our lives and thinks through what we've done and how we initiate and how we prepare the way for Him. And if we can focus on that, on being the messenger, being the other guy, there's no doubt in my mind that He will see you the way that you want to be seen. And when you're ready to get into those heavenly gates, there's no one greater than you because of what you've done to prepare the way for Jesus. Here's some quick action steps. Write down one person in the area of your life that you need to confront. Write down one person or area in your life that you need to confront. Confront him, her, it with humility. Like John, understanding where he came from and who he was in relation to God before he's going, able to go out and challenge the areas in his life and the areas in other people's lives that he needs to. Email me. I like reading these things. Believe it or not, I read all of them. Email me how the experience went. Tell me. What happened? Did it go well? Did it go bad? Let's talk about it. So in closing here, there's some of you that are visiting with us today and this is your first time maybe at church or your first few times at church, I hope you see that humility is what drives our relationship with God. Not pride, not selfishness, not authority, not institutionalized religion, but being humble like John is what drives our relationship with God. For those of you who are disciples, and maybe you feel isolated, maybe you feel hurt, maybe you feel tired, it's time to come out of the desert. It's time to come out of the wilderness. We need you in this world to confront the issues and problems that we have. Thank you, and have a great day. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.